Yeah, it's almost like he had he brings that up and it's seemingly out of left field, indicating that he kind of had that this idea of these offerings and sacrifices of what we can give God in mind when he asks the question of what is the greatest commandment for mm-hmm. us to do in yeah. the first place. And there's almost this sense of the way Jesus responds to him after, because you could read it like he's being demeaning or he's kind of, he's like mansplaining to Jesus. You're right. You're right. You're right, teacher. You've truly said the right thing. But it seems like based on Jesus's response that that's not how he is. He's almost like having this aha moment, like, you're right, teacher. And teacher would have been this, could have even been severely derogatory and almost um, sarcastic. But if not, then he's saying, you're right, rabbi. Like he's affirming Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, which would have been a sign of respect. And he comes to him and says, you're right, teacher. You've, you've truly said that he's one. There's no other beside him. And to love him with all our heart, with all our understanding, with all our strength, and love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Like he's, he's like, yes, that's it. And then Jesus says, and he saw it and saw that he answered wisely, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Like you're so close. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it is shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right. Well, welcome to the Take and Read podcast. Pastor Chad here. And for two weeks in a row, two episodes in a row, I am not by myself, but I have a guest and another guest. I've got two guests. So with me, Parker Smith and his beautiful bride, Amy Smith. Ding. There should be like a... Some people can't see the camera. Amy just did a uh, smile to the camera. (laughs) And it was as if like there was a ding on her teeth when it happened. (laughs) Maybe Alex could add a sound effect. Yeah. So uh, we are here at Yee Yee Offices Farm at the headquarters. And so if you're uh, tuning in visually, if you're on YouTube or Spotify and you're checking out the video, you can see this is your office, right, Parker? This is it. This, is, this it. is my office. Like this is where kind of stuff happens. You sit at that chair, you look at this screen, and you send emails and you talk to people about hats and shirts and shackets and what other? The American dream. The American dream. Yes. <laughs> this office has been featured in a podcast only one other time on the Granger Smith podcast. This okay. Is the second time that so, it's been featured. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube. And, uh, if you're not sure of the Granger Smith podcast, I encourage you to go check it out. But you probably found this podcast because of that podcast. But if not, go check out Granger. Uh, he's yeah, he's he's a fun guy to listen to and be encouraged by. Uh, so catch me up, you guys. Uh, I think the last time you were here, you had just got married, or you had just got married, or you weren't married yet. I don't remember. I don't know. It was right around that time period. Mm -hmm. But now you've got months under your belt of marriage. Mm -hmm. So, and you've gone on a mission trip. Mm -hmm. Both of you, I convinced to go to Africa with me. Mm 
and we had a good time. Uh, so kind of walk me through in this season of life, whether this is a kind of joint thing or whether it's an individual thing, but what has God been teaching you, whether from his word or from interaction with other believers or just kind of as he's guided you? What what would you say is the lesson he's wanting you to learn now? Something that's I've been on this journey in the word is the picture of the Bible as a helicopter view and then in the weeds, like not just reading Romans 8 and taking that and chewing on it, not just doing that, but what is the whole context of the Bible? What mm-hmm. is the whole thing? Like how do what does the priesthood mean, you know, into the Levites and now to Jesus? And it's the whole picture and not just the New Testament and kind mm-hmm. of what people are saying, but this whole theme and how it it matters and not, not just one scripture or one verse and how it's all woven together. It's really cool. So you're kind of zooming out from a passage and you're seeing how it plays in with the whole kind of narrative of yeah. God's word. Okay. Do you think that's because of a uh, us getting exposed to different types of preaching that kind of influence that rather than just taking a verse in and of itself and then only honing on that verse but looking at the context and the bird's eye view and then how it references and how it affects the past and the future and that sort of thing yeah or do you think it's just based on like what you're reading is in particular both it's being exposed to those teachers who give that snippet of okay this actually goes back to the old testament and this means this and this applies to this and then while i'm reading i'm not always needing them to facilitate that. Now I'm like, okay, this actually points back to that. And that points to Revelation. And now it's all intertwined. But it's definitely like the seeds are planted by the teaching we're getting and how it's really expanding and really diving into the scripture and what it means. Do you think that, or do you find yourself kind of naturally asking the question, oh, I wonder if this connects or I wonder where this might occur in the Bible, or I wonder if this happened in the Old Testament when you're reading some of the New Testament, or do you just find yourself making those connections like, hey, I think I remember something about this, and there's probably a connection. Like, how do you, how does that happen if you, I don't know if you can explain it, but how does it happen in your mind when it does happen? I think both. I okay. think now that it's kind of become a practice, I'm, I'm seeing things like we were just talking this morning um reading first Samuel and the cup of wrath. And then I was thinking about how Jesus talks about the, being a poured out drink offering. And I'm like, what are all these cups and offerings? And what is, how does that all, it's talked about in the Old Testament, New Testament. Mm-hmm. I think this means more than I'm kind of understanding. Yeah. So I'd say both. Okay, cool. Parker, what's he teaching you? Uh, I just got done reading a book uh, called... Um, when people are big and God is small, which is a really good book on the fear of man and the fear of God. And, uh, the author really, I had to write a five page paper on humility about it and how, uh, the fear of man has affected me throughout my life. And it kind of just starts off with this like really humbling statement of 
If you've done this, then you have a fear of man. If you've ever cared about what someone else has thought about what you were wearing, if you've ever been afraid to share the gospel with someone, if you've ever been afraid to post the gospel on social media because of uh, people may think that you're out of your mind or that it may not um, be the best business move for you at the time. And so like just really auditing my own heart Mm. and thinking about um, the areas of my life up to this point where I've let either the affirmation, because people just people think oh you care about what other people think uh for just your own self-esteem just so you'd Mm -hmm. feel better about yourself but it's just interesting to think that not only in self-esteem but in every single area of your life um how either people's like i talked about how in middle school i'd be terrified of football practice even though football is my favorite sport i was terrified because we would do wide receiver drills and I knew other guys would be looking and if I dropped the pass, they'd make fun of me and they'd make fun of me later at school. And so it, that was like more of a direct fear, like literally a, a terrifying fear of man. Whereas as I got older, I spent extra money on clothes so that people could see a particular brand and or I wanted to drive a certain car to have a certain perception. So that wasn't, people wouldn't look at me and go, Parker's terrified of that guy. But the way that I was spending my money and my mm-hmm. time indicated that i was letting that so if, if that makes any sense like it's, it's talking about these different areas of the fear of man where it may not be you look at me and i'm terrified but it's letting other people's thoughts and opinions affect the way i live and then it also goes into the fear of god and kind of the cycle of a healthy fear of god from terror to awe to um a reverence and then to a worship mm-hmm. So that was kind of a long-winded way of just kind of exploring yeah. fear in general. And as a motivator, right? It's it's what the fear of man or fear of you know what they would think and approval that was motivating decisions. Whether it's you catching passes and really, really trying hard to catch a pass because you don't want to deal with the repercussions of how you'll be treated or spoken of or you know talked about. And then now, or, and then you talking about how you were spending money on clothes. So it was driving you or motivating to make decisions with money because of avoidance or acceptance. And so fear was this driver. It was the fuel behind decisions. So that's interesting. And then, yeah, the, the scriptures talk about fear of God and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is what the Proverbs say. So how does that you know, understanding or fearing God and, and having a reverence for him. So some good stuff. Yeah, You guys are in a good season. That's exciting. Uh, I would say, uh, well, normally I ask guests that, that question and then I don't never answer the question. So I should probably answer the question, but I'm learning a lot about Chad. What is God teaching you? There you go. Season? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, I continue in this season, uh, to, appreciate this concept of waiting on the Lord and not trying to manufacture things to happen, uh, especially in, in the context of whether it's family or church life. I have a lot of ideas of what I think things should be. And rather than trying to rush in and try to influence or manufacture or create those outcomes or those situations, I've enjoyed in this season sitting back and sometimes it's because I have no ability to influence or affect that change directly. And I just have to wait on the Lord, but it's been 
it's been a very encouraging season as I just sit and wait and watch the Lord unfold things and not rush in and try to get my grubby little fingerprints all over it. I just get to sit back and watch. So what does that mean like practically to, to someone who hears that and is thinking, well, so am I, am I just supposed to sit here and do nothing in my house all day and just expect these problems? Because we do have a tendency to want to just, I mean, we have to take things under our own hands that are not going right. to get done. I, I will speak in very general way, but a very specific example. I don't know if that helps. Uh, in a, I was in a season of life recently where was having to make some very difficult decisions that involved someone else. And as as we, myself and a couple other pastors were thinking through this and processing through what do we think the, the course of action is, we saw the Spirit of God or experienced the, the Spirit of God bringing a unity between us about what needed to happen. And we were all kind of surprised and it was a real bold thing that we were going to have to do. And so we, but we all agreed, wow, okay, didn't come into this meeting thinking this would be the outcome we thought of. But we thought, okay, we're going to move forward. And it, we were moving forward with a possibility or a conversation with somebody and, and presenting an idea only to find out that this person, two days prior, in their time and in their walk with the Lord had been processing, praying, reading the scriptures and had come to that conclusion themselves. And so we were like experiencing this, man, this is dangerous. Like it's, but we're in unity and we feel like it's the right thing to do. We go, we interact with this individual only to find out they're like, this is so crazy because two days ago, the Lord put that on my heart that this is what needed to happen. And we're like, get out of here. And so then all of a sudden, what the, what does that do? It motivates faith. Like you all of a sudden go, okay, he's at work here. And so then we're, we're willing to walk in that way and not sugarcoat things or not shy away from things as we pray and seek the Lord and we see unity among believers about a course of action that aligns with Scripture and we just go boldly and we go, this is, we're going to do this. And it may not always work out that the Lord has already been doing things, but there is a sense in which he is going before us. He is always moving upstream. And by the time things get to us, he's already been at work. And so it's been pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. I don't know how practical that was. And I, I speak in generalities because I'm speaking about real people and in real time, but it's kind of this sense that uh, things are happening praying for them uh, but at the end of the day you are able to sleep at night knowing that um you know it's not ultimately up to you mm -hmm. and kind of learning to trust and wait in faith um i don't yeah and and I th one of the i guess the visual that i in my mind i see that a willingness to believe and trust that the same spirit Right, The Spirit of God that dwells in me and is doing a work in me and leading me as I am trying to be led and, and submit myself to Him and be open to Him and His leadership, that that same presence of God is also present in the other person. And so if this is what the Lord is leading me to, He's going to be leading 
in a certain way there, hopefully. Now, it could be the case that that person's not as sensitive to the Spirit or submissive to the Spirit, but I can still trust that God is at work and will can also be at work in that other believer. And that's when it's with believers. I think when you're engaging with a non-believer in a fallen world, you just have a boldness that this is what I'm going to do, and you can expect opposition or suffering or all kinds of other stuff. And so don't be dissuaded when, man, I thought the Lord led me to this, and it and it didn't work out well. Well, we live in a fallen world, and suffering's all around us. But as Romans 8 tells us, he works together all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which is to form us to the image of his son. Therefore, whatever suffering or trial I experience by while following Christ in, in his leadership, that's only for my good. But it's not always going to feel good. Yeah. So, good stuff. We could just camp out there if we wanted to. But we came here to take and read the Bible. So we're going to be reading. We're in the Gospel of Mark. So I'm going to turn with one hand in my paper Bible while you scroll with one hand in your electronic copy of God's Word. But here we are in Mark chapter 12. Oh, man. And I've got a mine falls on where I have to turn the page to. This is going to be great. If you're watching, you see the setup. If you're not watching, we are in a an interesting setup where we have to hold the microphone with one hand. So this is going to be so fun. Mm-hmm. The challenge. So we're in Mark chapter 12, and we are going to be looking at verses 28 through 34. 28 through 34. And this passage of scripture is like right in line with what Amy was talking about. Let's go. I mean, right. <laughs> and you guys had no idea what we we're talking about. But she's like, yeah, I've been looking at how the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's like, bam. All right. I love it. Okay. So I'm going to try to set this here. <clears throat> we'll go up like that. Okay. So we are in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. In the English Standard Version, the ESV. What do you guys rock in ESV? ESV. NIV. NIV, keeping it real. <laughs> it's backwards. It. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be seeing words that maybe are translated different. And and I was thinking that one of the things that's helpful with what you mentioned earlier in that seeing that, that maybe this particular passage is a part of a much broader kind of narrative and sweep of Scripture Something that helps is if you have a Bible that has footnotes or cross-references, and that's specifically what those are. They're going to be references that either, if in the text there is a quote of another passage of Scripture, so an Old Testament reference, it'll tell you what that is. Other ways in which a cross-reference will kind of utilize its references is if there is a word or an idea that appears elsewhere in the New Testament or elsewhere in this book you'll see a a kind of reference to it. And so it's a helpful way to kind of have notes to see where these ideas or words are connecting elsewhere in the Bible. So a good use. So if you're out there and you're listening and wondering how you can kind of travel the same path that Amy is traveling right now, then cross-references are your friend and footnotes are also your friend. But here we are starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, 
Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting passage, one that we've heard before, probably, if uh, we've been around uh, the church much or the Bible much. Uh, the greatest commandment has been one of those things that is talked about and ought to be talked about. But we want to start out looking at this text, understanding in the life and ministry of Jesus, kind of where does it land here? So immediately making sure we understand what is said, and by doing that, asking some very kind of obvious questions. Who's there? Like, who's talking? Who else is around, possibly? Where is this located? Uh, and, and so what are kind of, what's the scene that we could set? and then understanding exactly what's being said. So uh, I'll point out this, and that is the context of this is very interesting. So Jesus is in that final week of his life. He's been in Jerusalem now for a few days. He's attended the temple a couple of times, and so this is in the midst of that. And when he uh, comes into the temple, there's this flowing set of scenes that all seem to take place kind of in very close timing to each other. And this is one of those. So this one, we have a scribe that comes up and approaches him. Right before this, uh, in verse 18, we understand that Sadducees came up, which were a particular subset of Jewish leadership that denied the resurrection of the body. Right before that, uh, you'll see in verse 13, and they sent to him some of his the Pharisees and Herodians. So you've got the Jewish leadership, and then Herodians were this uh, a political party of Herod that would have been Jewish but had the favor of the Roman government, and so this interesting kind of political group of leadership. Uh, prior to that, he teaches a parable, but it is what comes out of verse 27 of chapter 11, and they came again to Jerusalem and he was walking in the temple and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him in order to, to test him. So right, so basically this whole scene is kind of set starting in 1127 when we have scribes, chief priests, Pharisees, and all of these other kind of Jewish leadership people are present and they begin to challenge his authority. They ask him about kind of by what authority is he doing all of this stuff. Then he tells a parable. Then they test him again about paying taxes to Caesar. He responds to that. The Sadducees try to trip him up with the resurrection. He responds to that. And now we have a scribe. So in each of these instances, there's a different 
kind of member from a different part of the opposition authority of the day trying to find a way to trip him up. And so this is one in a series of attempts that they've made. And so now we have a scribe who would have also been an expert in the law, somebody whose task would have been to copy the law in such a way that they're spending so much time in the law and recording things that they're going to have an expertise about what things say in the law. So it's interesting the question that he asks pertains to very particular understanding of the law. Okay. So I would say that's our context here. Okay. So we've got this scribe. He comes up and he heard them disputing with one another. Most likely it's either the Sadducees or this, you know, maybe a group of, of those that are gathered, but you see that there's these different pockets of groups that are there and they're, the scribe walks up and he hears them kind of disputing and arguing between each other, probably trying to figure out how they're going to respond to Jesus or do something. And so uh, he sees that Jesus has answered all of these well, like all of these attempts against him to test him. He's done a great job. And so then he makes his attempt and he asks him a very particular question in verse 28 which commandment is the most important of all and jesus answers it directly which you never really know if he's going to or not right because sometimes he answers at, you know with a question i don't know you tell me yeah where do you like when when they ask him about his authority starting at the end of chapter 11 he responds with well i'll tell you i'll tell you where i get my authority if you tell me was john's baptism of heaven or uh, of man and they're like oh man we can't answer that and he's like okay then i'm not going to tell you and so you're right he, it's it's refreshing and interesting and intentional that he answers them described very directly and uh, s several of these s tend to end with and they dared not ask him any more questions mm -hmm. <laughs> just just such an interesting little tidbit to ask to add at the end <laughs> as the author where it's yeah. like he could have just ended it but something happened some murmuring some sense of something in the way that he answered it or their reaction to it indicates i'm gonna add in and they definitely didn't ask him anything else after that <laughs> like he it was, the mic was dropped he shut it down yeah uh so who else do we who else might be there i mean we don't know directly but it's likely that the disciples are around because they're always with him there may be a crowd because he's teaching in a public venue uh, you know, near and around the temple at this point. Um, so there's other bystanders, but that we know that this dialogue is very particularly between Jesus, the scribe, and most likely those others that are murmuring around him, which are opposition, right? And something else to note, and this is kind of related to what you said, Parker, the response has been thus far consistently frustration so those that have attempted to test him have responded with you know not willing to admit defeat and frustrated and even more desirous of taking him down and i don't think that's what we see here yeah very a very different realization that's occurred here so i, th I think that's interesting what else do we see? Anything else that you go, and that needs some explaining. Um, did you have anything, Park? 
I was going to say, um, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Hmm. I want to dig into that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Because one of the things that's been consistent along the way is even going back to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, when Jesus, it describes him as beginning to proclaim the gospel, announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand, mm -hmm. repent and believe in the kingdom. So that's the content of Jesus's gospel, is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And all throughout this gospel, we've seen that he repeatedly demonstrates the authority that he has as the king of the kingdom. And he's also demonstrating what life is like in the kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the kind of morality and the moral standards of the kingdom. And so this entire gospel has been about realizing and, and God's kingdom coming to fruition in Christ's time, that he is ushering this in, and he is that king. He has authority over demons and angels and sicknesses and storms, and he can, he can has authority over everything, and everything immediately obeys him, except for people, which is very interesting that everything, everything that he commands immediately does what he says, except for the people he's like, hey, now go tell no one, and they're like, guess what? Mm -hmm. And so um, kingdom is an important piece here. Also, what uh, what do we understand that he has quoted? When he responds with, what's the most important command or commandment? And he responds, hero Israel in verse 29. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He starts out with one, and that is right in line with what you were talking about, Amy, that if you look down in your footnote, we're going to be going back to Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 is known as the Shema, and that is a, a passage of Scripture that all Israelites would learn from a very, very young age and would recite on a daily basis. It would become the most important recited phrase of their life. Hmm. And so he responds with Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And that's a very interesting thing, and it's, and it's a very telling thing. But he was asked for one, what's the most important and then he follows up with a second one. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So he's indicating these are a commandment. He was asked for the greatest. He recites two. And then he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. So these are, the, these are it. These are the top two. Which, what, what do we, you know, as we wrestle with this passage, we need to wrestle with why those. Why did he respond with that? Anything else that you think needs some explaining? We need to wrestle with the kingdom component. You are not far from the kingdom. And I think we need to wrestle with what he has just said and to whom he has said it. All right? Any other thoughts? Anything else we need to wrestle with? 
That should probably give us plenty. <laughs> maybe, okay. Maybe something about the burn offerings there at the end. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All righty. So we've got the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. Uh, if we were to, to scroll back to that. We have here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the do doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so this is identified in Deuteronomy 6. So in the Old Testament and in the uh, what is called the... Um, the first five books of of the Bible are are given a, a particular role and a um, a particular understanding in the history of of the Jewish people and of Israel, and so they were a primary focus. Um, they're considered to be, for the most part, um, brought through Moses, and so these are the books of Moses. Uh, and so when you hear others talk about the Law and the Prophets or the Book of Moses or things like that, this is what he's quoting from. And so this would have, this would have landed very well. Um, but why do you think he chooses that this would have been the most important of all commandments? No idea. Um because that's our purpose that's why god created us to love him and to serve his purpose and glorify him and it's the greatest because it i've heard it said that the first um because the first commandment out of the ten commandments you shall have no other gods before me you shall make no images it like mm -hmm. puts them all together and that's like the summary is Love the God with all your heart, mind, soul, mm -hmm. strength. Um, that's my. Yeah. So you've got this this basic level of of all that he could have of looked at as far as a command that God gives. You've got the Ten Commandments. You've got all of the rules in Leviticus that are laid out all of the the kind of ordinances around lifestyle what you eat what you don't eat what you wear what you don't wear with the days of when you do things uh, there's all all kinds of things that he could have pointed to but he points us to the shema which would have been very agreeable probably to those that are present that are jewish and it summarizes, like you said, this is what we exist for. And the, the idea that you would love your God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, it doesn't give you a checklist of, okay, today I'm going to love my God with my mind, and then I'm going to do it with my soul. But the idea is that we are loving God with every possible component of our being. Hmm. Everything is in our life points to loving him. So the way that I use my finances, 
the ways that I interact with my neighbors, the way that I go to work and interact with people at work. Like he's literally saying there's every component of your existence is designed and you are commanded to love God with that. And so it does capture everything. I think it'd be dangerous to kind of just kind of partition these things out or compartmentalize these things, but to recognize this is a very kind of poetic or Hebrew way of saying the whole of you, every ounce and part of you is is meant to love God. Yeah, it's not a, God should be a massive part of your life. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, uh, God should make up the majority uh, of all of your interests and desires in this world. I mean, that's every, your soul, your mind, <laughs> yes. everything. Yeah. When he talks about taking every thought captive for Christ, like everything, um, and it's interesting the way that the scribe summarizes it because you get this. He doesn't just say, oh, okay, thanks. I, I was wondering about that. Or you're right. That's the right word. He summarizes it and he says, you're right, teacher. You've truly said he is one and there's no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbors oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the implication maybe, or the assumption of the day was that offerings and sacrifices are the greatest duty of man. Like that's what, and you think about when Jesus enters the temple, what does he do? He throws tables, the money changers, where they're basically doing a bunch of commerce in the courtyard of the temple. He goes in and just wrecks shop on that stuff. Because he said, you have taken a house of prayer and turned it into a den of robbers. And so, well, that den of robbers, that was where commerce was. You buy, you come to town and if you're coming to worship at the temple and and you don't have a a pure spotless lamb or, you know, two pigeons or whatever you're supposed to offer, well, you come here and don't worry, we got you covered. That'll be, that'll be half your annual earnings, but we got you covered. You can now worship, right? So they're they're making this a profitable enterprise the sacrificial system which is kind of it just just because the reformation is kind of fresh in my mind because i'm reading about it kind of comes full circle and you know over time in 12 13 14 15th 16th century with the indulgences or the mm-hmm. paying for certain spiritual rewards either of salvation or they'd say that you could buy your loved ones mm-hmm. um, shorter time in purgatory. Yeah, you could yeah. buy your loved ones shorter time in purgatory, or you could free certain souls by paying this idea of exchanging right. for something. All because uh, was it Pope Leo, or which which Pope was it? I can't remember. Well, the Pope at the day it was a it was a fundraiser. He wanted to build this really awesome. I think it was. Uh, was it St. Peter's Basilica? Something. He wanted to build something and he didn't have the money. So he needed a way to raise money to build his building. Yeah. So he he sent, uh, what's his name? Um, he was the guy that uh, Tetzel, uh, John Tetzel, went out uh, as an agent of the Pope to raise money by selling indulgences. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. So, yes, there's this component where the scribe gives a little insight into maybe what 
could have been perceived as the greatest commandment of the day by others. That possibly something about sacrifices or offerings, like that is our duty is to sacrifice to him. And what Jesus has said is, your greatest, the greatest commandment is what you were made for, and that is loving God with everything you are and loving other people in the same way that you love yourself. So love is now the primary driver for humanity, not sacrifice, not offering. And so that, that's an interesting component to this. Uh, there's, I'm trying to think of the passage, and I'll do a quick reference, but it's, um, um, what is, is it in, it's either in the Psalms, or maybe it's in one of the prophets where he says, sacrifices and offerings you do not desire, but a broken and contrite heart. Mm-hmm. I can't remember where that is. I think it's in the Psalms. Yeah. And and so there seems to be an echo here of of what this scribe is responding with, that there is a an element here where Offerings and, sa- and burnt offerings and sacrifices are not ultimately what God wants. Hmm. He wants our heart. He yeah. wants our love. He wants our our loyalty. And yeah, it's almost like he had he brings that up, and it's seemingly out of left field, indicating that he kind of had that this idea of these offerings and sacrifices of what we can give God in mind when he asks the question of what is the greatest commandment for mm-hmm. us to do in yeah. the first place. And there's almost this sense of the way Jesus responds to him after, because you could read it like he's being demeaning or he's kind of, he's like mansplaining to Jesus. You're right. You're right. You're right, teacher. You've truly said the right thing. But he, it seems like, based on Jesus' response, that that's not how he is. He's almost like having this aha moment, like, you're right, teacher. And teacher would have been this, could have even been severely derogatory and almost um, sarcastic. But if not, then he's saying, you're right, rabbi. Like, he's affirming Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, which would have been a sign of respect. And he comes to him and says, you're right, teacher. You've, you've truly said that he's one. There's no other beside him. And to love him with all our heart, with all our understanding, with all our strength, and love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Like he's, he's like, yes, that's it. And then Jesus says, and he saw it, and saw that he answered wisely, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Like you're so close. You're almost there. Okay, so we've, uh, we've, we've looked at a lot. We've covered a lot. And as we, we consider Jesus' response, this scribe's response to Jesus' teaching, and then Jesus' response to his response, uh, and he says that you're not far from the kingdom. Uh, what, as we kind of wrestle with this, what is, what is our response to the text, to the word of God today in light of all that he has taught and said and what our realization is? So the the significance as we wrestle with this meaning. I can go while you're thinking. Yeah. 
Um, I kind of, I kind of look at it uh, in Jesus's last few words of "You're not far from the kingdom of God." Uh, kind of talking to the scribe when he mentions these burnt offerings, he summarizes it, and then he he mentions the burnt offerings and it's, uh, fulfilling these commandments is much more than just the sacrifices and the offerings. And Jesus is like, "Yes, that's close. You're not mm-hmm. far." And so to kind of bring this all back full circle to Jesus's the whole reason that he came was to be uh, the final uh, sacrifice, the the priest, the the lamb, that uh, there are no more sacrifices because mm-hmm. it's finished. And so uh, how much more now do we go back to the beginning of this and go, uh, man, God, I'm going to love you so much um, with everything that I have uh, and love others as myself um because i can now see this beautiful painting full circle now of why jesus came and why he talked to these scribes and how he challenged um their thinking and their beliefs and made them audit their hearts and um because i see that you love me so much that you sent your son to die um for my sin um and and to now command us to put our faith and love the one um in jesus christ to alone um, could save us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I look at this and just think, okay, these are the two most important commands. Like kind of how are we doing here? You mm-hmm. know, like thinking about myself, thinking about the people that trust me in accountability with them. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm really falling short mm-hmm. of loving God with all my heart and loving my neighbor as myself, right. you know? And so it's just a great um, reminder that these are the greatest commands, greater than the burnt offerings and sacrifices, greater than thinking about my own sin, repenting and just in the morning, think like praying to God, to, to the spirit to work through me, to love God with all my heart, mind and strength. And then after doing that, being full of the spirit and then loving my neighbor as myself. That is the reminder I get from this passage. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think to, to bring it back to the basics, I think we can, we can have a tendency uh, to make it complicated. We humans have a tendency to make religion a primary thing. So we like to make up extra, extra, extra rules and things to do. And there's something very simple about this. And I think uh, similar to you guys, I wrestle with this text and go, okay, keep the main thing, the main thing. Seek first the Lord, love him, give him everything that I have, pursue him, read his word, seek him through prayer, uh, attend worship corporately with other believers, engage in the body of Christ, use my gifts to serve those that are around me because he's given me these gifts. And so use them to benefit and uh, to encourage others and and love anyone that's in my path. And it, that's what I'm supposed to do today. Some of us do that as, uh, you know, at work and we have particular jobs. And so that's, it's going to look like you know, in that way, there was this this old monk called Brother Lawrence who wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he wrote this little book out of a lifetime in the monastery of washing dishes. That was his job. 
Every day he was by himself and he washed dishes. And so he found ways to, in the mundane, to love God and be present with the Lord and abide with the Lord. And that gave him the fuel, like you're talking about, to then love other people because he was so filled with the love of God and the presence of God that then no task was menial, no task was meaningless. It all mattered. And he was able to do that. So I think that's a good reminder for us today. And I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast or tuning in, you know, there's there's something to be that might resonate in that final comment that Jesus makes that to the scribe who goes, yeah, this is it. There, there's one God. We're to love him with all who we are. We're to love people. Yeah, okay, I got it. And there's some that may hear this and say, yeah, that sounds good. And recognize that you're close. You're not far from the kingdom of God. But the fullness of God's kingdom comes in recognizing fully who Jesus Christ is. Not who he was, but who he is. That Jesus Christ literally walked this earth. He is God incarnate. He took on human flesh, walked this earth, lived a perfect life, fulfilled every commandment, not just these, but every one of them. And he lived a perfect life and then was arrested, falsely accused, severely beaten, hung on a Roman cross, died, physically died. Three days later, rose from the grave, proving that he had mastery and authority over death and over the grave. And now all who put their trust and their confidence in him have that life in themselves and have hope. And so if you believe these things, then you are in the kingdom of God. If you believe and trust in Christ alone, for if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, right? If we believe in our heart that, that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, then we are to be saved as Paul says. And so we, we hope that as you have wrestled with this along with us, um, that that you have yeah, had an opportunity to be filled by his spirit and have understanding. If this is not something that you believe, I, I challenge you to keep wrestling and keep wrestling. But I pray that, that the Lord uh, makes it perfectly clear to you and that you uh, relent and uh, give up that, that white-knuckled grip that you, you so desperately cling to in, in terms of control of your life and that you release and allow him to have his way in your life and to fill you with his love and give you the ability to love others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are people that believe this to be 100% true. Uh, you've heard three followers of Christ read it, and we are going to, by his spirit, attempt to live in light of this truth, and I encourage you to do the same thing. Uh, if you have any questions, if there's been anything that's come up where you're like, I'm not sure about that, or you have questions, I get to respond to emails every week. And so email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions for these two, you can email me and I'll get them your questions and they can respond back to you. But I encourage you to continue taking and reading the word of God. And I'm so glad that you joined us today. So go take and read. Blessings. See y'all.